It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Abraham Lincoln once said, Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves, and under the rule of a just God cannot long retain it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what's our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, why did God allow slavery in the Bible? Our theme text is found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 and 44. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it, but every man's slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. Okay, so it's about slavery. You know what? Coming up in today's podcast, we all shudder when we think of slavery, and yet people say the Bible was full of it. So did God really support or even turn a blind eye to slave trading? We'll find out in about 15 minutes. The Bible does lay out differences between the servitude of fellow Israelites and those from other countries. In about 30 minutes, we're going to see if this was an open door for abuse. And finally, in about 45 minutes, we'll look at the New Testament and the early Christian viewpoint regarding servitude. And this viewpoint might surprise you. But first, let's lay a foundation. Slavery. It is a function of a sin-ridden, imperfect human race. When we hear of people being slaves, the reality of what that means has a dramatic range. There was the inhuman harshness of Egyptian domination over Israel. There was the enslavement of Africans a few hundred years ago. Then there were the Roman and Greek versions of slavery. Then there was the indentured servitude of several cultures. In all cases, it's easier for us who live now in the 21st century to look back and wonder why. We think we know better. But here's the problem. At this very moment, cruel and heartless slavery still exists. It includes the abuse of minors, sex trafficking, and other forms of inhuman behavior. So we know that God has allowed slavery to occur among his chosen people. What kind of slavery was that, and why did he allow it? Let's take a look at some general observations. In ancient times, some people were in a position to need servants to work their lands, tend their flocks, and conduct trade. Servants were often those who had debts they could not pay had no lands or flocks, and needed to live. They were sojourners in the land, or were sometimes, and this is interesting, captured enemies from war. Servants provided stability, while laborers were hired on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so there's a big difference between the servitude and, quote, slavery and day laborers. You know, you you work for a day, you don't work, you work for a day, you don't work, versus people that were attached to you. So we want to establish that as a difference to begin with, and then we want to look at this servitude, this slavery, if you will, and try and understand how it works. So let's go back even before the Jewish law. Let's take a look at Abram. Now, Abram is Abraham before his name was changed, once God gave him the promise. He had many, many servants, and you could, you could call them slaves. Let's take a look at Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So this is interesting. He had 318 men to go to try and rescue Lot. That's a huge household, Rick. <laughs> yeah, it says, and these men were born in his house. Does it mean they were born in his, you know, in his, you know, 800-square-foot home? No, it means within his household. They were part of his household, but they were not his relatives. They were those indentured-type servants that worked for him, lived under his roof. He fed them. He gave them a place to sleep. They, in turn, gave him labor every day. 
So, and there's 318 young men. So it shows you how vast his holdings were. And you can say, well, you know, that wasn't very good. Well, that's the way people lived in those days. Now, we'll go a little further with Abram. Some, some were of these indentured servants, if you want to call them slaves, fine. Some were very important and respected positions. They held these positions with Abraham within the household. Let's look at Genesis 15, uh, verses 2 to 5. We'll stop after verse 3. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Okay, so what Abram is telling God is, I have no heir, and at this point, if I die, Eliezer of Damascus, this foreigner, whom I trust with everything, incidentally, would inherit, my, would inherit my household. So it gives you the sense of the honor of that position that this specific slave, Eliezer, held in his household. He was essentially heir for lack of a physical heir. So let's continue the verse. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Rick Eliezer was held in high esteem. He was like his right-hand man, though he was still a servant. You're right. And in line for inheritance, for lack of an heir. So there's something very different already that we're seeing in the most ancient recording of slavery slash servitude in Scripture. There's some good commentary from the Clintock and Strong Cyclopedia of the Bible, Jonathan. Let's go through that. The servants born in the house were perhaps entitled to greater privileges than others. Eliezer of Damascus, a home-born servant, was Abraham's steward and, in default of issue, would have been his heir. This class of servants was honored with the most intimate confidence of the master and was employed in the most important services. An instance of this was uh, we find in Genesis chapter 24, where the eldest or chief servant of Abraham's house who ruled over all that he had was sent to Mesopotamia to select a wife for, for his son Isaac, though then 40 years of age. So you have Abram, Abraham's example of trusting these individuals. They were born in his household. He treated them essentially, you get the feeling, they treat them like his extended family. They had to do their work. They had their position, but they were respected as human beings. Here's another part of the respect factor that, that's very obvious in, in Abram's circumstances. All of Abram's male servants, and remember Abram is the same as Abraham, they were to be circumcised, Genesis 17, 13 and 14. A servant who was born in your house or who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. And Rick, Abram was bringing his servants under the protection of God's covenant. Their humanity was valued, which shows really great respect. And not only that, God is telling Abram to do this. God is saying they're in your household. I am treating them as part of you. So you get this sense of actual respect. And when we think, Jonathan, when we think of slavery, we don't think of anything near that. No, we don't. Okay, so let's, we've got a little bit of background so far from Abram slash Abraham. So what do we know about slavery or servitude from Abraham, God's chosen patriarch of Israel? Four, four basic points. Servants were part of the household. This is important because they, that, that gives them a sense of being much more than treated as some kind of, 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 of animal, so to speak. Servants were trusted to fight alongside their master. You know, it's interesting. He brought these 318 young men with them. You know, and if they didn't like them, they could have easily rebelled out there, right? That's for sure. <laughs> but they didn't. They were trusted. And so you see there's a mutual trust going on there. Servants would be entrusted with great responsibility and even be an inheritor. Just like Eliezer was actually in line for an inheritance. 
Servants were to be treated with respect and were positioned to be acceptable to God. That's enormous. And folks, that's one of the first things we have to really begin to understand when we look at Abraham's example of how he handled those who were in service within his household. For more on the topic of slavery, go to episode number 700, Is Slavery Acceptable to God? You can find that at ChristianQuestions.com or go to our Christian Questions app. Okay, episode 700. You, you put in the app, you, the, the episode number, and you can, you can find it that way. So, Jonathan, at the end of each segment, we want to just have a kind of a summation point about biblical servitude. What is it here? Abra- Abram, God's chosen, had multitudes of servants, and by all indications, he ruled over them with justice, equity, and kindness. So what you said is important. He ruled over them with justice, equity, and kindness. Ruling over them didn't necessarily automatically bring harshness and, and, and pain and suffering, but instead justice, equity, and kindness. So, so far, in the servitude of the Old Testament, it doesn't seem too bad, at least in relation to Abram, God's chosen. What about slave trading? Did God allow it? What were God's rules for the treatment of servants? Our team of volunteers are accomplishing amazing work every week as we release new audio, video, and web content, helping create the Christian Questions Multimedia Ministry. There are several ways you can get more involved in our not-for-profit mission. Click on Support CQ in our main menu on ChristianQuestions.com. Sadly, history shows us a past where some factions of Christianity seemed to go out of their way to support slave trading, claiming it was a biblically sound practice. Nothing is further from the truth. Not only was the buying and selling of human beings prohibited, there were strict rules that needed to be adhered to. Well, uh, Rick, wait a minute. Didn't we just read in Genesis chapter 17, verse 13, that Abram bought servants with his money? Did we just contradict ourselves? (laughs) Okay, well, you know, and and that's an important point. Uh, So so how is it that you buy someone with your money? Well, if someone had debt and they needed to have that debt paid off, you could could buy their debt, essentially, buy, buy them and pay off their debt, and now they owed it to you. So it's not necessarily anything at all to do with, with, with trafficking of humanity, but it's a very different thing, an individual choice, and we'll, we'll just, uh, expand that as we go a little further. But no, it has nothing to do with trafficking. Let's say it again. Nothing to do with trafficking. We're going to go to some sound bites from um, a, an organization called ElijahRising.org. And folks, these are tough. Okay, so just giving you that warning, that disclosure that this is talking about uncomfortable subject matter. We're talking about women being trafficked for sex. Okay, this is an organization, a Christian organization that has tried to make an impact to break those chains, so to speak. And it's a fascinating story that we're just going to unfold small pieces of as we go through it. And so um, here's part of one of their podcasts called How Does Sex Trafficking Work? And it's talking about cantinas. They are based in Texas. And so they're talking about Texas-based trafficking in today's world. Yeah, in the early days of Elijah Rising, we did a lot of things. We, yeah, we were just like figuring it out. We started as a prayer meeting, you know, and um, we knew that we needed to raise awareness. And we also recognized the need to like just do intervention. Like we just got to get out there. We got to meet women where they're being, where they're being trafficked, where they're being sold. And La Costa Nita was, as you said, like this pretty famous, like well-known cantina uh, bar where trafficking was just so obviously taking place. Like it really wasn't that hidden when you went in. And so there, there, in those days we would staff um, and some volunteers would just go into these places, much like we do on intervention now, but with a lot less structure. Yeah, <laughs> um, We just kind of went in and just looked around and tried to find an opportunity to talk to somebody. And so I remember going into La, La Costanita at one point. Um, it was the first time I had ever been into a cantina and the amount of women. I mean, there were tons of women. I, I mean, I, I think that night, like, 
20, 30 or so women um, that were just literally lined up um, by the bar and on the dance floor. It was just so evident what was happening there. No, and this is in one little tiny hole-in-the-wall bar in some place in Texas that they're describing. Heartbreaking. It, 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 is, it is worse than heartbreaking. And, and Jonathan, there's a lot of information out about the slave trafficking in today's world. Um, where I know you're going to be quoting some points on that, but I want to give part of the human trafficking definition, only a part of it, from the 2020 Trafficking in Persons Report. This is done by the United States government. This is a 500-page report about worldwide human trafficking in today's world. This is not a problem of the past. This is a problem of the present. Here's part of what they talk about in terms of defining human trafficking. The recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of subjection to involuntary servitude, payonage, debt bondage, or slavery. This is worldwide. Well, Rick and I will be bringing up current day slavery facts throughout the podcast. Our source is theworldcounts.com. And here's our first, a current day slavery fact. In terms of profit, human trafficking is ranked as the third largest international crime industry, just behind drugs and arms trafficking. Man, it's huge. Folks, did you know that? It's huge and it's worldwide. Okay. Having said it, we're going to come back to that frequently throughout the podcast. Let's get back to Scripture. Let's look at slave trade in the Bible. There's two times that slave trade is mentioned in Scripture, and it's not good in either circumstance. You know, so the idea that, oh, you know, God was like all for it. Ah, no, 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 no. Let, let, let's, let's see the Scriptures for what they are. The first one, you'll all be familiar with once we get into the story. Genesis 37, 26 to 28, has to do with Joseph and his brothers. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. So they essentially kidnapped Joseph from his home, even though he was their brother. They were going to kill him, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That is slave trading. Now, we know that God took that horrific act and turned it into a blessing for all. That's right, he but did. But it doesn't justify in any stretch the horrific act. Let's jump to the book of Ezekiel. Now, this is generations and generations later. Ezekiel is lamenting over Tyre. Tyre is the capital of the Phoenician Empire. So they're a very powerful city with very powerful influence in the world, and they're very sinful. Here is part of the lament about Tyre's sinfulness. Exodus 27, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 27, 12 and 13. Tarshish was your customer because of the abundance of all kinds of wealth. With silver, iron, tin, and lead, they paid for your wares. Javan, Tubal, and Meshach, they were your traders. With the lives of men and vessels of bronze, they paid for your merchandise. They paid for merchandise with the lives of men. It was a slave trading. We'll trade men for these things. And this is looked upon from God as heinous, and it's being condemned as Ezekiel is naming their sins. In the law, it was very specific about this idea of, of, of taking someone from their home and selling them. Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells them or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. Okay, you kidnap a man, you sell him, you, you die. You don't do that. You just don't do that. Not under God's watch, not under God's law. Very, very specific. This was a common practice in those days, but God was specific about it being punishable by death, not in the Jewish community 
Not in Israel would this ever happen. Let's jump to the New Testament for another mention of this idea of, of, of slave trading. 1 Timothy 1.10 from the Weymouth translation. Fornicators, sodomites, slave dealers, liars, and false witnesses, and for whatever else is opposed to wholesome teaching. So, Jonathan, with this, with this scripture here, you know, it's, it's talking about these are the things that keep you out of the kingdom. One of the things there is slave trading. That's right. So you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament very, very handily, easily, clearly, utterly, totally, hands down saying no. Not here, not now. So, so what does this tell us? Jewish ownership of slaves was to occur only under conditions of a lack on the part of the slave. A foreigner with no means of survival or a countryman who had debts or hard times. Those were the kinds of people that ended up being these indentured servants. So what were the rules for such arrangements? That's where we want to go to next. And, and Rick... But, but what, why would God allow individuals to be owned by anyone? You know, does it have to do with not interfering with free will and the consequences of sin? You know, that's such an important point because part of God's plan is allowing sin to do what it's going to do. Because when you decided to not obey the word and will of God and follow something else, you decided to go down a path that creates its own consequences— and so, yes, God allows it because that's part of what sin brings. Sin brings destruction. It brings disservice. It brings dishonor. It, it brings a d- discrepancy between all kinds of people. So, yes, that's why slaves were allowed to be. However, when we get to the Jewish nation, there's a lot of, uh, of, of guidelines in relation to that. Let's go, before we go there, let's go back to how does sex trafficking work, work uh, with cantinas from ElijahRising.org. And folks, again, just this particular soundbite, it, you know, it's, it's disturbing. Just want to let you know before we play it. I had been in the bar when it was operating, but then when it was shut down, nobody was there. It was an yeah. abandoned piece of property. Um, when you went through the restroom, so I walk, you know, you walk into the women's restroom and there is a, a secret door, like a trap door of sorts cut into the wall, literally almost just like it was plywood. And you walk through that door and you go back around the back of the building, you go a couple hundred yards in this really narrow alleyway that in the middle of the night, I would imagine is pitch black dark, right? Yeah. And then you come to a big clearing with numerous structures. And when you go into those buildings, it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it was just mattresses lined up on the floor, um, one after the other. And there were some rooms, you know, some had doors, but some of them were like mattresses right next to each other. And because it was, the place was raided and everybody was removed, you know, just instantly one night. I mean, people's things were still there. Um, Women's clothing, um, all of the things that you would assume would be in a location where... 80 women are being trafficked at any given point. It was all there. All the evidence was there. Um, it was really disturbing. Yeah, it's really disturbing. You know, and the most disturbing part is it happens today. And, and, and it happens essentially under our noses. And we just need to understand and, and have an awareness that this is not a, a problem of the past. This is also a problem of the present worldwide. So, Jonathan, when we think about slavery, you know, we're, we're from the United States of America. And when we think about slavery, you know, you go back to the, the, the colonial times and you go back to when in the South there were slaves in this country. And it was a heinous circumstance. But there were Christian ministers who justified it. Let's just go through a couple of quotes. This first one is from Reverend Alexander Campbell. There is not one verse in the Bible inhibiting slavery, but many regulating it. It is not then, we conclude, immoral. Shame. Shame, shame on you, sir, for saying a piece of truth without giving all of the rest of the explanation, which we're going to get into. It's shameful. And to call yourself a Christian and to do that with Scripture is, is, is despicable. Next quote, unfortunately, Reverend uh, R. Furman. The right of holding slaves is clearly established in the Holy Scriptures, both by precept and example. And again, until you read the whole story, be quiet. 
don't misrepresent God's word. It's just, it's, it's, I can't, I, let's just move on. I, I this, this, okay, let's get back to scripture. <laughs> General rules of human treatment in the Old Testament. Let's, let's talk about the general rules first, okay? Many of the scriptures that uh, are general sweeping statements that would obviously apply as background in the application of very specific laws. So we're going to begin with common respect for all men. Remember, all of these general rules are going to still apply when you get into specific rules about servitude. So you can't forget the general rule when you're getting into the specific rule because the specifics are built on the general rules. First one, Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, Rick, this is proper treatment like one of your own. Yes, that's right. You were aliens in the land of Egypt. This is what God bases his treatment of others on. Remember how you were treated in Egypt? We're not doing that. That's essentially what God is saying. I rescued you from that, and these are the rules I'm giving you. This is a different standard. There is an inherent warning against abusing slaves in Exodus 21, 26 to 27. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. So, Rick, God's rule is there's no abuse permitted for any slave. That's right. There's no, now, look, honestly— People make mistakes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, you were allowed to, to, to smack them with a rod. That's true, okay? But the, 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 getting to the point of, of these, these devastating injuries was just not allowed. And that, was, that wasn't allowable, you know, to, to get to that. That's another whole other podcast. But just understand— there were guidelines and there were limits, and you had to stop before you start destroying the humanity of another person. That's really what we're talking about here. Let's look at, and, you know, and Jonathan, this next scripture speaks volumes as to how those in servitude were to be treated by Israel. Deuteronomy 5, verses 14 to 15. And this is in the Young's Literal Translation. And the seventh day is a Sabbath to Jehovah thy God. Thou dost not do any work, thou, and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy handmaid, and thine ox, and thine ass, and all thy cattle, and thy sojourner who was within thy gates, so that thy thy manservant and thy handmaiden doth rest like thyself. And thou hast remembered that a servant thou hast been in the land of Egypt, and Jehovah thy God is bringing thee out thence by a strong hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore hath Jehovah thy God commanded thee to keep the day of the Sabbath. So this is the 10th commandment, or the, fir- the, 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 the third commandment, fourth commandment, I can't remember. Keep the Sabbath day, okay? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. On that day, nobody works. You know the interesting thing, Jonathan, in this, in this repeating in Deuteronomy? is it, re- it mentions those who are in servitude twice. That's a good point. It doesn't mention them just once. It mentions why? To make sure they understood your servants, those who are indentured servants to you, must be allowed to rest just like you. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, brought you out of a slavery that was harsh and had no rest. You're not doing that to somebody else. That's a great reminder. But what did slavery look like when they were in Egypt. You know, it's interesting, and, and, and there, there's a lot there. At the beginning, it was very, it was, I won't say it was kind, but it was reasonable. And you see in the scriptures how it becomes harder and harder because the Egyptians are afraid of the numbers of Israel. And so they push them harder, and they take away privilege more, and it becomes a, a treating them like cattle toward the end. And it's, it's 142 years of hard service for the, the Israel, and, then, and God hears them and then delivers them. So what God is saying is, you will not, you will not treat other human beings the way you were treated. Not, 
I'm paraphrasing, not on my watch. You know, <laughs> that, that's what God is saying to them. Um, let's go to one more scripture here. Uh, Leviticus 25, 39. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave service. Now, that doesn't make much sense to me. I, I don't get that. A slave service. Okay, so th- that has to do with lifetime of service. We're actually getting into that in the next segment. Okay? okay. So there's a difference between countrymen and an alien, and, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll definitely touch on that. So, Jonathan, let's wrap this segment up before we get to those points. Biblical servitude, what have we learned so far? God was very specific as to the humane treatment of slaves, those who were considered least in society. He dramatically contrasted how Israel would treat slaves and how they were treated as slaves in Egypt. Don't ever forget that every time God talks to them about treatment of others, he reminds them, you were slaves. I rescued you. You're not doing that to anybody else. This is such a lesson regarding words meaning one thing to some and something entirely different to others. What were the differences between Israel's treatment of their own countrymen as slaves and others? What's up, everybody? It's your CQ voiceover guy, reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast. Send us a message at ChristianQuestions.com for any and all feedback, or message us on our social media channels. Have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about? Reach out at ChristianQuestions.com. Israel was God's chosen people. They weren't God's spoiled children. They were chosen people, which meant they were obligated to be obedient, to be blessed, and to suffer consequences when disobedient. They were one nation and were expected to give one another the respect of that unity. So there's a lot there that God expected from them. And one of the things he expected was appropriate, humane treatment of those who were in their service. Period. This is very, very, very plain. Unfortunately, let's go back to how does sex trafficking work, cantinas from ElijahRising.org. And um, this adds a whole dimension to some of the trafficking going on in, in the area in Texas that's like, really? Just, just listen up. And, you know, another thing is, uh, you, we, we didn't talk about this in the first part, but the prevalence of the occult and, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the cantinas, they'll have, like, garlic on the door, Santa Muerte, images throughout the yeah. building, and it's really uh, ritually abusive to the women who are there. And I don't know if you want to share about uh, yeah. the experience you had. Yeah, actually, um, a number of the cantinas that we first started doing intervention in, I remember like we would walk in and there would be shrines of sorts set up um, and all sorts of like um, religious or ritualistic paraphernalia that would go along with that. Um, And I remember one cantina in particular, we opened a door and it was, um, there was a room and the entire room was dedicated. It was like a, a, an altar uh, to Santa Marta and, um, yeah, it just seems to be part of the the system uh, of of not just the trafficking, but the traffickers and the business model of sorts because yeah. they pray for you know the business and things like that. So, Jonathan, before you get to the next fact, Santa Muerte, just so the, our our audience knows, is Mexican for Our Lady of the Holy Death. Okay, this is the the imagery that they were worshiping. And it, it has roots in Catholicism. Now, the, the Catholic Church has condemned it, but still, it has roots in Catholicism, and it's this twisted, twisted religious aspect of how trafficking works there. They pray to this, this imagery for prosperity as they degrade humanity. I, I, uh, I does just, not make sense. I just don't oh. get it. Anyway, go ahead. All right, a current day slavery fact. The total yearly profit gained from human trafficking is st- a staggering $32 billion a year. $32 billion from human trafficking. 
And you know what? We don't see it. We don't understand it. You, you realize one other fact here. You're in greater risk of being hit by a bolt of lightning than you are of going to jail if you enslave a person in South Asia. This is from that same source, theworldcounts.com. It just, it's like we, we turn blind eyes in, in so many places and so many ways to this. So I got a question for you, Rick, before we go further. Yeah. It sounds like you are defending Jewish slavery. Does that mean you'd want to be a slave? <laughs> okay, good question. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I need to answer that question. No, I don't want to be a slave. But I will tell you this. After studying this out very carefully, many, many different times, if I were in a position in those ancient times where I could not support my family because of debt or no inheritance or being an alien in the land or something, and I needed to go into the permanent employ of somebody, if I had a choice of what culture I would go into the permanent employ of, I would choose, have chosen Israel. I would have chosen the Jewish culture. Why? Because their culture had laws that would protect my dignity and the dignity of my family as I became their servant for the rest of my life. So, yeah, I don't want to be a slave, but if I had to, that's where I would have wanted to go. We're going to expand that as we go through this. Let's look at the servitude of a fellow Israelite. So if, if one of your countrymen falls on hard times, Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 18, describes how you are supposed to treat them. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but on the seventh year you shall set him free. Okay, six years. You had asked about that slaves thing, uh, uh, that slaves portion, however it was put in that last scripture. Um, a slave, slave service. service. To yeah. a slave yeah. service, yeah. Okay, so if it was a fellow countryman, you could only keep them in your service for six years. In the seventh year, they had to be able to go free. That was the law of Judaism. So it wasn't... Is that, is that part of the Jubilee? Yeah, well, and, and you know, you remember that in Jewish law, in the seventh year, there, there, was, a, there was a resting. And so there, there's this idea of giving people opportunity after a period of time where things have been going in, in, in a difficult way. So yes, it does. It has a lot to do with that. Now listen, it's not just saying, okay, get out of here, your time's up. Listen to what you're supposed to do when you set them free. Let's start with verses 13 to 15. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So when you send him out... He says, send them out with stuff, lots of stuff. Be liberal in what you give them. They've earned it. Yes. And it's saying, he's your countrymen, reward them for that service. Verses, uh, verse 16 and 17. It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an all and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. So if your six-year period of time is up, and that person says, I don't want to leave because you, are, you have treated me so well, okay, then you can make a contract that he will be your servant for the rest of his days. And the beautiful thing is, why does he choose to stay because of the good treatment, the respect he was given. Because human respect is paramount. That's what the Jewish law is saying. Verse 18. It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man, so the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. So don't make it difficult. If it's time to set him free, do it with, with zeal. That's the way to go. Generosity is a beautiful thing. It right? is. And God is saying, be generous, because that person gave you many years of their life. Be generous. Fair treatment for fair work. Make room for permanence shows the graciousness those in charge were supposed to exhibit. It really gives a great sense of it. Now, look, there, there's more information on, on, on 
slaves marrying while in servitude and on women slaves and so forth in the bonus material because there are certain caveats with, you know, if you married while you're, you're a slave in that household and you married another slave in that household, when you want to leave, you can't take that wife with you because she was a slave on her own accord. So we go into that in the bonus material. So it, it, uh, it's just something that no, no time today, but want to mention it because, you know, you don't want to leave out all of the, the important details. But the point is, there's this graciousness and this idea of treating others with respect. Let's go back to disrespect, looking at how does slave uh, sex trafficking work from ElijahRising.org. And this is talking about psychological bondage. Yeah, and there's an element of just psychological bondage there because yeah, many of the yeah. women, you know, they, they might be staying at, you know, their own apartment or their own home or someone else's home. Right. And, you know, they're free to go to the grocery store. They're free to go different places. And so a lot of people, they, they have a hard time figuring out, well, why don't you just leave? Like, if this is so terrible. Yeah. Um, but they don't understand is like these people that are trafficking the women understand where their families are back in Mexico, back in Central America. Right. And, you know, a lot of times those things are held against them. Like we, we remember um, going to a cantina in North Maine mm. and we were talking with a girl there and she was sharing how she was brought over from Honduras. Um, she thought she was coming to work as a waitress. Right. And so she had two kids that were um, staying back in Honduras with family and that night she was really troubled because uh, her oldest son went missing. Mm. Hmm. And so she pulled us outside and we're on the front steps of this cantina and she's telling us all this, her story of how she's came from Honduras and is working at this cantina in Houston. And we shared with her, you know, hey, there, there are resources, there are people that can help. You know, she was in trouble um, with law enforcement. So she was, you know, really terrified of being deported. Right, and, right. you know, it, it was a complex situation. Of, and she still had sort of this debt that was kind of looming over her. You know, it just gives you the sense that there's no way out. You know, the psychological bondage is sure, you can go grocery shopping, you can do whatever you want, but you step out of line, we know where your family is, we know where your children are, and we will not hesitate to hurt them. Man's injustice to man. Awful. It is. It's, it's terrible. Another current-day slavery fact. 54% of modern-day slaves were recruited by strangers, and 46% were recruited by people they know. That's hideous. You'd never think it would be that high about people they know. Another, that's scary. It is. It's scary. It's disturbing. And that's, this is today. How big is this today? Another fact from theworldcounts.com. 161 countries are affected by human trafficking. 161 countries. This is worldwide. Okay, back to Scripture. We talked about how Israel was supposed to handle the servitude within, uh, with, within their own countrymen. What about those who were not their countrymen? There were some very different guidelines here. We could see those in Leviticus 25, 44 to 46. As for your male and female slaves whom you may have, you may acquire male and female slaves from the pagan nations that are around you. Then, too, it is out of the sons of the sojourners who live as aliens among you that you may gain acquisition, and out of their families who are with you, whom they have produced in your land. They also may become your possession. You may even bequeath them to your sons after you to receive a, a possession. You can use them as a permanent slave. But in respect to your countrymen, the sons of Israel, you shall not rule with severity over one another. So, Rick, uh, this is interesting. You can pass down slaves generationally. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I just, that, that's something you don't think about. Yeah. And you say, wow, that's horrible. Well, yeah, you can look at it. There, there's two ways to look at it. With, it. with the lens that we normally look at slavery, we say, that's horrible. But if you have the lens where these people became servants because they had debts they couldn't pay or they were not able to make it and you and they came into your service and you know now look they're your they're your servants you rule over them there's no question about it but the idea of that generational thing you look at it and say okay that's a way that there is food on the table and a place to sleep 
in exchange for working hard and being respected. Now, Rick, in these verses, is there any trace at all of slave trade? No, 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 no. You know, it says, you know, you, you may acquire a male or a slave uh, or female slave from pagan nations. It doesn't mean you're going and, and buying slaves. They can come from these other nations. We've already been told you can't do that. And the rules of Scripture are, when you've got a law that's put in place, you can't just forget it and say, well, oh, that doesn't apply here. Stop. Yes, it does. This is God we're talking about. He's giving you different pieces of his guidelines in different places. You know the phrase, your reputation precedes you? Yeah. You know, in communities, people talk. If a foreigner was indebted and wanted to work for an Israelite master, he would obviously look for someone kind and respectful to his servants. Now, remember, these slaves had the ability to marry and have families under servitude, so it was important for them to look out for their families. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's, a, there's a lot to this when you see it through the lens of God giving them direction about being respectful of others' humanity. Let's go a little further with that. Slaves were considered by a conscientious master as entitled to justice and honorable treatment. Let's look at Job chapter 31, verses 13 to 15. If I have rejected the cause of my male or female slaves when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he makes inquiry? What shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them, and did not one fashion us in the womb? So this is a solemn warning to be respectful uh, to those of you who are slaves, saying, you know, if, my, if, if one of my male or female slaves has an issue and they bring it up and I reject it, you know, wholeheartedly, I'm in line for the judgment of God. I can't do that because it's disrespectful on a human level. Proverbs 30, verse 10 is another verse that helps us to see this. Do not slander a servant to a master, or the servant will curse you, and you will be held guilty. Don't even say, it's, you know what, it would seem easy to slander someone who appears to have no rights. But God is specific about his protection about those who had fewer rights. And he's saying, slander's not allowed in that case either. And there is guilt when we do that. So, Jonathan, the look of servitude under God's laws. It was still servitude, okay? You still had a master. You can call him a slave or a servant, whichever you want. It's still, but it was so different, so different than what we see today. Slaves were given the ability, this is beautiful, they were given the ability to partake of Jewish feasts, another indication of respectful treatment. We know that from Exodus 12, 43 and 44. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance for the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but any slave who has been purchased may eat of it after he has been circumcised. Also, check out episode 628, Did God Ever Sanction Slavery? You can find that at ChristianQuestions.com or go to our Christian Questions app. See, now, th Jonathan, this, this scripture is really important. A slave who's been purchased may eat of the Passover. I mean, this was the, the ritual, the feast that they partook of to show God's mercy. So you could see that there was a lot of being treated as one of us. Very, very different than the other kinds of slavery that we look at. Very different. And you almost can't even use the same words because there's such a different look here. So biblical servitude, let's wrap up this segment. The ancient culture of Israel was clearly steps above neighboring nations when it came to dealing with those who were in conditions to be slaves. God did not remove the consequences of sin from the lives of slaves, but he did proclaim compassion and respect to be given them. Okay, you mentioned this before, Jonathan. God didn't remove the consequences of sin, but he did, for his people, put respect and compassion into the equation and said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, don't you dare, don't you dare do to others what was done to you. I am the Lord your God. Don't go down that road. It's so important to remember that God lets inequality of sin affect humanity. This is an eternal lesson. When we fast forward to New Testament times, what was the same and what was different regarding slavery? 
Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode, follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes, and for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation. So moving to the New Testament, now that Israel was under Roman rule, they were subject to Roman law. The Greek and Roman version of slavery was quite different than the Jewish version. While privilege was sometimes attainable, disloyalty of any slaves in a household could lead to the death of several innocent slaves. Don't have time to get into that here, but when you look at uh, Greek and Roman slavery, there was this sense of everybody better comply or else. And there's this foreboding held over their heads, which was not, obviously, we haven't seen that in the Jewish version of what we call slavery or indentured servitude, however, however you want to phrase it. So, Jonathan, before we get to the Christian view in the New Testament, let's go back to how, to how does sex trafficking work uh, through, uh, from ElijahRising.org. And, and just before we get to this, Jonathan, I just want to say, you know, these folks are doing, they're very bold, in what they're attempting to do. They, they, they are trying to, one person at a time, undo damage of people being taken advantage of. And, and I have great admiration for anybody who takes the risk that it takes to go step out and do something like that. This whole situation, sex trafficking, really is the exploitation of vulnerability. Absolutely. And the stories that you're telling right now and the stories that, you know, we continue to tell, which are so important because it gives a larger understanding of how this all occurs, is these individuals are being exploited, but the, the factors that bring them to that place is their vulnerability. I mean, you know, that yeah. woman in particular, she's, she's coming from an abusive marriage. She has numerous children, right? And so she sees no other way. Also, she has somebody influencing her that says, this is a way, right? And then yeah. she ends up in this cantina. And fortunately, by the grace of God, you know, our team, you in particular, you know, you were there to intervene. But that happens over and over and over again, doesn't it? I mean, most of these women are there because there's some vulnerability, whether it's poverty, hunger, or homelessness, or immigration even, is being exploited. And then they find themselves in these situations. Well, Rick, Israelites and Christians saw the harshness and brutality of slaves under the Roman rule. But being a Christian, they had to live higher and not be influenced by the cruelty they witnessed all around them. Yeah, you know, and this, the, the phrase exploitation of vulnerability, it's such a powerful thing because it's easy to exploit anyone who's vulnerable. They're just asking for exploitation. That's what the vulnerability does. It just, it just presents the opportunity to be exploited. Christianity is supposed to rise above that, and this is how we do it. And actually, before we get to that, I just wanted to mention one other quick little uh, tidbit, another, another fact from the worldcounts.com. Uh, 78% of modern-day slaves are in the labor industry, while 22% are in the sex industry. So there's a lot more than sex trafficking going on. Let's not, let's not lose, lose sight of that. Now, let's get to the Christian view. Uh, the early Christian view of slavery was to be the best you could be. Now listen to this. Whether you were a slave owner or a slave yourself. Um, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Let's do 5 and 6 to start with. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by ways of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This is powerful advice. This is hard. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Not just faking it, not saying, yes, sir, right away, sir, but he's saying you need to mean it. And that's hard because you're doing things you may not want to be doing. But he's saying doing it uh, as, a, by, as though you're slaves to Christ. That's a big big step. It's a heart step that, that the apostle is talking to those who are indentured servants and saying, this is how you need to act within this culture that we live in. Verses 7 and 8. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, 
This he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So no matter who you are, render good things to others, because this is something that you will be blessed by God for. That's powerful stuff. Let's go to verse 9. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I love the way he says it. Masters, you do the same thing. Because, you know, if you're a master and you're reading this, the first part you're saying, yeah, yeah, make sure you do that. Yeah, oh, wait. (laughs) Because it says, and give up threatening. Don't go down the road of, of, of exploiting, of, 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 of pushing your weight upon somebody else. Don't do that. You're better than that. So within the culture, the apostle was very specific about doing whatever culture required to the highest level possible. See, Jonathan, Christianity was not about changing or overthrowing current systems. It's about eternal replacement of those systems in God's time. It's about being an example of Christ's humility in the process. So just as there was a constant reminder of Israel's deliverance from bondage and cruelty to focus on Jews, to, to focus the Jews on the respectful care of those in their service as Christians, so we have constant Christian reminder of our accountability to God for our actions. Do everything as unto God through Christ. That's what you're supposed to be doing now. That's what your life is supposed to look like. Don't even, for a second, compromise on that. That's hard. That's hard. It is. Okay, let's get to our final soundbite from ElijahRising.com. Previous intervention, we were at a cantina and the guard, they all have guards at the door. Right. And he was like, what are you doing bringing gifts here? Like, you guys don't belong here. Y'all are church people. You don't belong here. And we just told him, you know, hey, we know that you don't typically see church people here, but, you know, you're the people that God cares about. He cares about the people that are in this club. And so that's why we're here to just share the love. And it was so shocking to him. Mm. And we just began sharing and we said, hey, can we pray? And all of a sudden, it was like the parking lot guy. He came (laughs) to be in a service, you know, he took off his hat and bowed his head, and then all the women are just kind of like, <laughs> they're arriving to their job, and they're seeing this circle of people yeah. gather. Wow. And we're just praying, and we're playing blessing over them, and you, you just begin to see the women begin to cry. The Lord begins to touch them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably one of the first times that they felt cared for, loved on. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know what their situation is and how they wound up there. Right. But... I guarantee you they're going to remember that night. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just giving them a, 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 the idea that somebody cares about you. Just And he's right. They probably don't ever hear that. Another current day slavery fact, 55% of modern day slaves are women and children, and 45% are men and boys. 26% of them are children under 18 years old. That's... Folks, we just need to understand, this is not a problem of the past. It's a problem of the present. Okay, we need to understand that and, and, and be aware that in our world, worldwide, we've got this issue. Back to Christianity. Whether privileged or in servitude, okay, whether you're one who owns or one who's owned, our accountability spreads through all aspects of our life. As a Christian, that's what the New Testament is telling us. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you know, what we should do, Rick, is let our citizenship be an example to those around us. It's like today. We, we have to pay taxes on what we earn. Uh, if we try to hide income or lie about our earnings, it is though we're cheating God. Um, You know, I have an example. I own a service business. And when I receive payments of cash instead of checks, I deposit them and record everything. Many in my field pocket the cash and never report it. You know, that's cheating. We're to be honest and subject to our rulers. Yeah, we are. It's such an important thing. And and it goes for those of us who are not bound in, in chains, if you will, uh, versus and, and, and 
and, and we may be doing okay. Doesn't mean it get just because you're okay doesn't give you the right to not do what's right all the time. So when you look back at the Old Testament, those who owned servants had to do what was right all the time. When you look at the New Testament, whether you were the owner or the servant, you had to do what was right all of the time. Now, when we don't even have that thing over our heads personally, we still have to do what's right all the time. Doesn't matter. All in Christ were equal no matter what their life status was. This is the New Testament teaching us. This was a constant early Christian principle. And Jonathan, this is enormous in understanding how this all works together. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Okay. All baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves or free. Doesn't matter what your status is, you're the same. Baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that you're no longer what you are. He's not saying that in society, if you're a Christian, you can now walk away from the shackles of your servitude. And he's not saying that at all. He's saying that God recognizes you as one called to him to serve through Christ. In God's eyes, you're not judged by your social rank but by the heart and mind focusing on doing God's will. That's how we give glory to God. Whatever our status is, we do it with our best efforts. Colossians 3.11. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. You see how the apostle repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. Why? Because no matter who you are, no matter what your status, you are the same as every other Christian. That's the beauty of the call of Christ. So when we look at slavery, this is what we see. Four points. There are widely varied degrees of servitude, some very civil and some utterly cruel. Right. And, you know, again, it's almost impossible to to be able to describe this and use the same words, but our, our words are limited. Next point. God never sanctioned any abuse of or cruelty to any servant at any time. Because God kept reminding Israel, I delivered you from unbelievable bondage. You will not do to others what was done to you. Next point. God did not remove sin's consequences from those who would experience servitude. He doesn't miraculously say, okay, I know it's not a good thing, so I'm going to take it away from you. Having kings in Israel wasn't a good thing. He let them have kings for generations. Why? Because they asked for it. That's what sin does. It puts us in a position, and then we have to bear the consequences of sin. Next point. Men, in an effort to justify their own heart-heartedness, found ways to use the Bible to defend their position. And that, my friends is about as low as you can go as far as I'm concerned. When you take God's holy word and you see all of the compassion that's in it and you brush the compassion away and cover it over and say, I get to do what I want to do because God's word said so. No, it didn't, you hypocrite. Please, let's take the word of God in its entirety. And Jonathan, as we wrap this up, let's look at what Jesus described as doing with his own life. This is almost shocking when you think about the vision, the eyes that we see slavery with today. Philippians 2, 7 through 11. And Jonathan, let's pause after verse 7. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Taking the form of a bondservant. That's the same word that we're talking about through all of these other things. So it's essentially saying, Jesus, the right hand of God, takes on the form of of a slave. And what happens? Let's read the rest of the verses. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that all at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, go ahead. 
Well, Jesus did everything exactly the way his heavenly father asked of him. He was a servant or a slave to God. And that reminds me of Jesus' lesson that he gave to his disciples when he washed their feet. The lesson is in John 13, 15 to 17. For I give you an example that you shall do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So we should serve one another if we follow in Jesus' footsteps. And see, when you say Jesus is a slave to God, you have to look at it through the right lens. Because in Jewish law and Jewish history, the owner gave orders that were compassionate and good to get the work done. Jesus came to do the work of God and the work of God only. And so it's a beautiful picture of servitude, not a horrible picture, because you have to see the slavery being spoken of through the right eyes. So this is a big picture to help us understand that when we talk about biblical servitude, it's got the sense of Jesus serving God involved in it, and that willingness, just like you said when he talked his disciples to, and washed their feet. So let's, let's wrap this up, Jonathan. Biblical servitude, our final, our final point. God oversaw the natural inequities of a sinful world when he d- dedicated, oh, dictated how his people were to respect one another. While he did allow the wealthy and destitute to exist, he did not allow inhumane treatment of those in servitude by his people. So let's realize, let's understand, and let's accept that God's will, God's will allowed sin to be, but put compassion there. You see, God gave his guidance to give compassion where compassion would not normally be given, where we would take advantage of. But God said, no, not amongst my people will you do that. And you compare Lucifer before his fall. He was self-serving. And because this is Satan's world, this is what self-serving gets you. The destruction of other, of other human beings in slavery, in, in entrapment, and all of those things. Rather, Jesus served God and God only and served him with his whole heart and mind and soul and strength and essentially bought the human race from Satan's rule to go back to God where none of this will exist in the future. Folks, let's understand servitude the way the scriptures talk about it and thank God for his mercy and compassion. Think about it. Listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, very different subject. What does Jesus expect from us? Talk to you next week.